G'day, I'm Ollie Laleve and welcome to GRDC In Conversation. We'd first like to acknowledge the traditional lands on which the podcast is produced. We've travelled to and spoken to people all across Southern Australia for this series. and We'd like to pay our utmost respects to the First Nations Australians who have told stories on this land for thousands of years. This series is a GRDC investment that takes you behind the scenes as we sit down with some of the people shaping our grain industry, uncovering their journeys, learning more about their passions and the projects that are part of their everyday. We're uncovering Southern Australia's grain-growing regions, chatting with researchers, advisors, growers, advocates, and just about everyone in between. David Jahinki, or as so many people who have been involved in agriculture will just know him as DJ. I actually find it hard saying David to him. Well, I sat down with DJ while I was down in Adelaide recently for the Evoke Ag Conference. DJ has been incredibly involved, not just in the farming business, but also agri-politics and advocacy for the ag sector more broadly. He's currently the Vice President of the National Farmers Federation. He's a third generation grain and livestock farmer. And boy, oh boy, he's incredibly passionate about the agriculture industry and where it can go. This chat feels more like a bit of a motivational pep talk. And I think along the way, you're going to hear about DJ's educational journey, why he cares so much about the work that he does, and the incident that inspired him to live life to the fullest. I don't know about you guys, but DJ is just an absolute legend doing incredible things. He's a southern grain farmer, absolute advocate for Australian agriculture. And we're super keen to hear your feedback on this one. But first, let's give it a listen. Well, David Jahinki, we are going to chat for the GRDC podcast in conversations. And I think what we're looking to cover, and we're, we're shooting from the hip here, but really chatting about, I guess, your involvement in the grains industry and the southern grains industry. But I think what will be really interesting to so many people will be your journey and how you've ended up down this pathway of farmer, agri-politician and everything else that sits in... Do you like that word, agri-politics? Um, sometimes it has connotations that I probably don't necessarily affiliate with. I, I do like to think I um, try to cut through some of the polywaffle that goes on. And uh, look, it's, sometimes it's agro, sometimes it's agri. It's, it's one of the most challenging parts because you only hear from people when they're not agreeing with you. And um, the phone call ratio is usually 20 to 1 as far as people upset versus people who are satisfied. So I'd say it's more of a somewhat uh, a coaching role in, in many ways, but then also just hearing people's stories and relating them. I thought you were going to say 20 to 1, 20 phone calls in, one answered, and just see how long pe- it takes people. See how angry they really are. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think my record is just over 100 phone calls in a day. 100? Yeah, during the COVID shenanigans. That was a bit interesting, but anyway. Two is. T- tell me a little bit about we we here in Adelaide at Avocag, but tell me about your family farm and, and where you guys farm. Okay, so I um, I'm a third generation farmer um, at a little place called Murrawarra, dry land agriculture, um, mainly cropping. Uh, my grandfather built bought our home block in 1950, um, his second block of land um, after he came back from New Guinea, um, and Basically, uh, my foray into agriculture was like a lot of farming kids. You, you be on the, the machinery, the, the headers and the tractors as you're growing up, and you get that love, that, 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 that dirt starts flowing through your veins, and you really start picking up how 
how sheep move, how they move and react, and then how crops grow and they, the the stewardship that you need from that aspect of it. And I guess I've, I've always been an outdoor person, so that just uh, really struck a chord with me. But that agriculture side of thing, it was something that was no question. I was always going to be a farmer, always going to be involved outdoors, always going to be uh, involved in food production. So for me, it was a very easy choice, especially going through high school. Um, the, going to our local women machinery field days every March was a day out of the calendar. The, my old man used to pull me out of school and that was like a, a, a highlight. But um, yeah, when, when I had the opportunity to be involved both in uh, formal education and then also stepping up to uh, representation, it was something that's always been in my DNA and I was more than happy to have a crack at it. So we better get one question out of the way. What colour machinery do you operate? Oh, mate, I'm a rainbow as far as it goes. I reckon <laughs> I've had almost every breed of everything. Um, my old man, he, um, he ran on the theory of, uh, he will try anything, which was fine, but it meant that we ended up with a, an Italian harvester, a German tractor, Mercedes Benz and Laverta header and, uh, all these very odd, odd machines that meant that, um, I became very au fait with fixing them because your local dealership wasn't there. This soup was not existent. But, um, yeah, look, nowadays like everything that's service industry, it does come down to making sure that you're getting good value for money, but then also it's got to be able to fix. So I guess we've probably gravitated to some of the more major brands than the exotic ones that we used to be involved in. <laughs> Key exotic ones. This this interest in ag, you, you talked about it, it, was obviously fed through your grandfather and, and your family. Was it obvious as soon as school finished that you were going back to the farm or what kind of pathways did you go down? Oh, not necessarily. That's a bit of an interesting one. I um, was fortunate enough to, uh, went to Dimboola High School, which was a pretty good learning basis of both uh, negotiating, uh, I guess, I don't know, outcomes on a school bus where you were basically the first one on the school bus and we had some pretty interesting characters, colourful guys on the bus, which, um, meant that, uh, yeah, we had a couple of good, um, yeah, punch on maybe here and there, but <laughs> nonetheless, we, we had, we had good times on the school bus. And then at the public school, you, you learnt to, um, there's a blend between academia and then also social and then all that practical side of life. And, uh, then for VCE, I was awarded a scholarship to go down to, um, Hamilton to do my VCE, which is, um, probably really shaped my, uh, personal growth um i became school prefect down there and turned from sort of a a bit of a jock to somebody who actually took a lot more interest in how and why things happened and because of that um i became very intrigued about uh well the the structure of agriculture and how can we make it better and and to be more of a a driver than a passenger like if you're not happy with something why should we go out and change it instead of just accept the status quo and that's i credit that to a lot of um, going away to boarding school and then also um, I guess the, the story I should relay is how I got involved with agri, agri-politics in a sense is um, I was in the first season uh, carting grain and uh, I was a bit of a, a younger bloke in the lineup at the old uh, Grain Corp silos at Dimboola and um, as you do when you're, you're delivering grain in a um, 12-ton truck you get out and have a bit of a chat to the guys in front of the line just to see who's in front of you to know when to pull up and have the etiquette of, of the line and listening to some blokes who were complaining about the, the closing time of the silos. And I was going, ah, oh, well, well, that's a really interesting conversation, but what are we doing about it? And they said, well, what do you mean? Why, why should we do anything about it? We're just here to complain, <laughs> uh, paraphrasing. 
And I said, oh, look, I'm not really happy with that sort of scenario. I want to be a driver of change. I want to get involved. So um, I heard that there was this VFF group down our local hall, our wallop group. And I went to a meeting and they said, uh, uh, after having a bit of a vent of my spleen, they said, oh, you look about the right size and uh, you've got a bit of gab. So um, you're, congratulations, you're our new uh, secretary treasurer. <laughs> and from that, um, got involved with uh, both policy decisions, but then also that local side of things is just actioning change and so with that like what age were you at this point in time um between that period uh, my old man got really crook when i was in high school so i came home and started running the farm as soon as i finished year 12 and basically got thrown the checkbook and said uh, every bad decision is yours but every good one's everyone's so <laughs> i uh yeah sort of had a sink and swim baptism of fire which is probably the affiliation i've got with my grandfather Versus my, my dad, because he got really crook, and he's still with us and everything, but um, he was a, a Nasho, and that sort of... Uh, they, they carry a lot of wounds and scars that people can't see, so that took a little, lot of growth at an early age to both um, reconcile that, but then also take on the business. I've chatted with a couple of mates who have been in a similar scenario where illness has meant they've come back to the farm maybe somewhat prematurely and haven't been able to fully, I guess, utilise their 20s to explore things. Do, do you look back on that? At all? Uh, I guess um, my story is a very fortunate story. We lived not far from our local Long Long Agricultural College, so I was a day student. I, I travelled there during the day and then I worked at night on the farm to keep it going. And I did okay, so I picked up my um, bachelor and then um, then articulated to start a... Uh, um, no, sorry, did my diploma and articulated to start my bachelor. And I was quite lucky because it was so close. Um, and then on top of that, I've been fortunate enough that... Uh, I've been able to do enough field scholarship and ARLP scholarship, um, been able to do numerous things within industry that opportunities have presented themselves and I've just made sure I could take that opportunity and really try to both uh, develop myself but then give back. And uh, sending the elevator back down is really important to me. So things like providing the opportunity for um, trainees or um, apprentices and then also um, if there's any engagements I can help um, motivate or, or talk to people coming through the industry I really try to make myself available because that was me I, I went through that process and I had a couple of strong um, people around me that's kept me focused and uh, provided sage advice at the right times. With the different professional development pieces you've done Nuffield obviously Longrenog University as well and then the Australian Rural Leadership Program have they, was it kind of one back to back or did it kind of float in at certain times when you were looking for something? How did they come about? Um, opportunity always knocks when you're not ready. <laughs> uh, so yeah, look, it, it was, when you look at the timeline, it was very stop start, but then also I think they came at the right time for me and I was just fortunate enough to have people encourage me to apply or push a bit harder at the right time. So I'd, you push hard, you take a bit of a breather and then you push hard again and it creates the ability to prioritise, creates ability to time manage, but more so it really focuses you on what your passions are and what your values are. And, and from a part of that, it gives you then strength to push on when you, when you are getting a little bit um, flustered and or um, gives you a good network as well to say, okay, what should I do next? Is this a good idea or not? And from all that, I've been, I guess, blessed to have good people around me, but then also those opportunities present themselves. I'm going to keep going down that pathway of mentors. Have you, has it been formal mentoring? Has it been people that you've lent on from earlier years? Or how have you gone and found these mentors? It's actually a really good question. Um, I'd say a majority of them have been just through my social network that have uh, been 
people who are strong in the industry and I've just approached them and said, what do you think about this? They haven't necessarily formally put themselves forward, but I've just tapped on their <laughs> their door or rang their, rung their number and gone, well, g'day, my name's DJ. What do you reckon about X and Y? And they, um, they appreciate being upfront and direct. Uh, a lot of the times we, we seem to skirt around issues and not ask exactly what the question that we're thinking. And I guess through that process, it has taught me two things. People love to be asked about their opinion, especially when they've, they've got some knowledge to give and, and to draw on that. Uh, people tend to give their time freely, as long as you acknowledge it and, and, and respect that that is time that, they, um, that they're investing in you. And then secondly, just ask the question you want to ask. Don't skirt around it. Don't try to use innuendos. If the more direct you can be, the better outcomes you'll get for everyone. And I guess that's how I try to do my business as well. Sometimes you've got to go softly, softly, but other times just say what you're thinking because it's um, a lot better for everyone to know what the issue is that you're track tackling or acknowledge that that's the elephant in the room and um, acknowledge that that might be off the table, but at least you both understand it and work on the areas you can. I'm going to head to the school of DJ right now because this is something I guess I, I, I struggle with a little bit, but I'd be really keen to maybe go back to was there an inflection point where... Or, or a kind of a moment which you can look back at, back on and go, wow, that was really quite significant and maybe this shift of going slightly more direct, one, from the person whose time you're borrowing, but also, two, in that personal growth sense as well? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I guess it was just, um, there's two, two moments, I guess, uh, what you might call a sliding door moment um, in that sense. Uh, the first one being early in the noughties when we're going through some droughts uh there was a pretty significant car accident at the front of our farm and i was the pretty well first responder there and to um be confronted with i guess somebody who'd been in an accident and ultimately passed away um in the car right at the front and that you were involved with showed you the frailty of life and that you can spend all your life sitting at the back of the room waiting for the ideal opportunity to do it but that opportunity never presents itself. You really um, choose that you've got to make your move and, and, and have input um, at the, the best times that you feel like you can, but realizing that there's no ideal op opportunity. So that reflection point for me was life's pretty short. Um, as Ferris Bueller says, you know, A, you got to stop once in a while and enjoy yourself, but B, you just got to get involved because otherwise somebody else is going to make the decision without you. So that was a pretty pivotal moment that I reflected on constantly going your, your moments very brief so make sure you make the most of it and then I guess secondly um, for me not necessarily having a, uh, a role model per se but my grandfather giving me fairly good um, advice to say he may not know the answers but he encouraged me to ask other people's so having that confidence to say um, not to to limit yourself because I think a lot of the times as humans we we naturally are fearful of being um, uh, I guess embarrassed or feeling like that uh, other people might might uh, not necessarily agree with you but the reality is everyone's thinking that question everybody's wanting to know that answer and they're just waiting for somebody with enough courage to step up and that courage point that uh, um, ability to just go you know I'm not going to really worry what people think about me and just, I'm going to do it. That, that part of me is, uh, something that I want to give people confidence that it's okay. That question, there, there's no silly questions and you can only, the answer's always no, if you don't ask it. So just ask the question or be involved and 
that that can be taken multiple different ways but i guess those are the two parts that have really shaped and defined why and how i drive and do what i do that's um really interesting because i think for me one of the the big pieces and i guess influences for me and has been to express that curiosity and go down that pathway but i guess where i found the confidence was from behind a microphone where i could nearly have that shield of this is what the audience wants to know or this is what someone else might be interested in but gives you a real license to kind of unleash um and, and ask people from that point of curiosity uh, and interest which i think is really interesting <laughs> no i think that curiosity and that inquisitive nature um is something that should always be encouraged the question why even though and said in the as a kid in the back seat might irritate your parents <laughs> it's a really good question to ask and sometimes it's the most simplest question that can unlock both the understanding of somebody's perspective but then also understanding what the problem that we're trying to solve because a lot of the time people either just want to be heard or have the problem solved for them and there's a there's a different pathway for either of those two actions but the reality is if you can't walk in that person's shoes or understand what they want it's very hard to help them and i think that begs the question for me like you're obviously very involved in the farm and also now away from the farm as well so I guess what have, what have you had to give up in order to pursue this I'm going to say double life but they're obviously both very intertwined but in terms of the the representative roles with industry groups and uh, and bodies but then also to still actively be involved in what is a third generation family farm well first of all I'm proud to walk the talk as far as agriculture goes. I can say what it feels like to have to sign the check for fertilizer or um, have to um, uh, find a solution to a machinery issue or whatever it is. I'm I'm really proud to say that I'm extremely hands-on within our business. However, to give myself capacity or latency, we've had to employ more people. It's just a matter of fact that um, of resourcing a farm um, the workforce challenges, the, the scales of economy, the ability to um, then also create the opportunity for the next generation to come on is something that I've been very much mindful of. Um, and I guess the way that um, I can just encompass it in one little snippet was um, through my Nuffield journey, um, it wasn't necessarily the people within my industry that I learned the most from, it was people from outside the industry. But I met this really interesting guy called Bart Ruth, and he was in representation, but in um, uh, soybean in the US. And he said to me, it's really, really simple. This advocacy game is you just need to have time. Time to both listen and then time to help the people you need to. And if you don't have that time, you're doing everyone a disservice. So how do you make sure you understand how to create time? And for me, that was a bit of an epiphany to say, okay, if I want to continue down this pathway, I've just got to structure our business in the matter or way to make that happen. And um, I think I've got it okay. <laughs> some days we're a bit light on, some days we're, we're a bit heavy, but look, ultimately, um, if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't be doing it. And I get huge satisfaction of, once again, that, that odd phone call you get when somebody goes, look, I really appreciate what you did. I um, also get appreciation of some other uh, constructive feedback, but the reality is helping people is why we're here and what we do. So what drives you more, the, the pats on the back of job well done or the kind of constructive criticism? Uh, let's just say if you did it for the pats on the back, you wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Agriculture is, uh, she's a hard taskmaster sometimes and people can get very emotive, which is fine because it is their lifestyle. It's generations of work and I can fully appreciate when people get worked up. I have been there myself. I fully um, empathize with that. 
as long as you're shooting the uh, the the problem, not the person, as much, um, I can I can get through that. So personality is always going to be there. But um, for me, the the absolute driver is um, making sure that you avoid problems from happening, which is probably ninety percent of what we do, and the ten percent of when we actually get a chance to fix something, which is probably the things that make it into the paper more so. Yeah. Those are the parts where it's really great to then to go. I was a, a small cog in a bigger machine to help that because, look, once again, advocacy and even agriculture itself, it's a team sport. I've always believed it is. And the person who's behind the microphone or the person who you can see, there's tens of hundreds of people behind them and they're the ones you're fighting for. And I'd really, once again, get huge satisfaction of hearing their stories, understanding what some of the, the issues that they face and then trying to, like a puzzle... Um, solve it or help them solve it or be a voice for them to help solve it. So you, you're there at the silos and this problem arises. Fast forward a little bit and you're the secretary and treasurer and then fast forward a little bit more. How, how long did it actually take you to, I guess, fall into the wheel of what was the Victorian Farmers Federation? Well, actually, I probably put the brakes on a little bit earlier. <laughs> did you? I was asked to join the executive a lot earlier than what I did. Um, purely because I had to get my back end right and I had to create that time. I could have easily jumped in, but then sacrifice what? Um, so life has a pace and life has a journey and and it's the company you keep that's the most important part. So if you're enjoying yourself and you can make things happen, do it. If you need to change a few things to make that happen, do that first. Um, for me, it was uh, making sure I had things set up. And look, we spent 10 years on the exec at the the state level and I've almost spent 10 years at the national level now that's a pretty wild ride for somebody who um went to a state school at Dimboola and uh yeah had to go home when he was 18 so I've been very lucky very fortunate once again if you can help other people step up and have let them have a voice that's the real part about leadership I reckon giving people the opportunity to maximize their potential both personally and within their businesses and then secondly, be able to really describe and let them know what your vision is. And if they agree with that vision, hopefully them join your, your mission to, to make that change. So your time at the VFF came to an end a couple of years ago. Was it like after putting, like I'll say, your blood, sweat and tears into an organisation and then, I guess, graduate, moving on from it and having to fulfil succession? Well, first of all, when you, when you leave... Uh, a post and then the next day you've got to check that your phone's charged because it's not no longer working <laughs> people aren't calling you it's a bit of a bit of an eerie feeling when you turn from the rooster to the feather duster but the reality is you, you've got to embrace it and hopefully that you've um helped the people behind you and I, I get once again great satisfaction to see people do well in industry and i love sending somebody a text to say heard you on the radio what an awesome interview congratulations on your promotion or even um just wanting them to see 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 them do do well and for me that that's the part that motivates me seeing people actually achieve something so yeah look it was a it's a huge step back when you're um living and breathing it daily even 24 7 but when you graduate to the next level it's also then another set of skills you've got to flex your mind to and go well what um what did i learn what are some of the um the things i needed to work on but then Ultimately, the, the common theme through all of it is your network. Um, the old saying of your network's your net worth is completely true. Um, the more you can meet, the more stories you can hear, the more you can then link either themes or patterns together. That gives you the opportunity to both 
um, try to unlock or understand what some of the, the problem is. But then secondly, um, if you can't empathize with the person you're trying to help, you're always going to struggle or not achieve the right outcome. So um, meeting people, having those conversations is is the blood, sweat and tears of what a, that, that role holds. And for me, I kind of find that really enjoyable. Someone who I think I'm, I really look up to, and for me, I'll say as a younger person in the industry, but it really does seem like from that 2017, 2018, really, it felt like there was, an, I guess, a new wave coming through agriculture. It was under the leadership of Fiona Simpson and what she brought, and I guess for your whole national leadership team, um, actually setting a 2030 target, which was taken up across industry and across government. I'd love to know a little bit about Fiona's leadership style and what it's like to be a leader amongst her as well. Um, I guess that's one of the great things of having um, an apprenticeship under people who are really passionate about the industry. And Fiona, as the, the key point here, is extremely passionate. And she puts in hours and hours of people may not recognize and probably um, uh, don't uh, necessarily appreciate to get her over topics to understand um, both uh, the written and the verbal side of things, so the reports and then talking to people. And she's developed such a great network and, a, and an awesome mannerism about her to um, defuse and uh, reframe a lot of problems to go, well, what are we actually trying to achieve here? Um, and for me, being a part of the uh, that team and, and the era that's really reshaped some of the branding um, of... The national organisation from being this is a problem we're going to do about it to actually leading the discussion having more thought pieces um, is a marked change and the the next wave of producers the the people who are now um, really taking the reins they want to really focus on how they can be a part of the community as much as their own business and um, they're they're looking for the the extra um, even though I don't necessarily um, align with the the phrase social license, but with that ability to make sure that we've attuned to what society needs from us as a industry, and making sure we're doing our part and and even leading that conversation, not just focusing on um, sheer volumes of either production or quality, and that's been now um, coming to fruition, especially when we talk about um, carbon, when we're talking about our place in um, trade, making sure that we we hold. Um, those premium markets, we have to we have to have those conversations internally, and and really focus on what's good for everyone, and try to reduce the amount of well, Fiona's been able to reduce the amount of noise that's been within agriculture, and I think that's been one of her great strengths is that facilitation and that um, cool head in those quite wicked problem-solving conversations. So for you, and I guess for agriculture, what do you see as some of the, and maybe in in this context, especially the grains industry, but what are you seeing as some of those key kind of headwinds that are pushing their nose up? Well, there's everything ranging from cost of production to um, understanding where we fit once again in the carbon economy, making sure that we're um, maximizing that opportunity without um, uh, cutting in our production um, off. Uh, climate change is a real thing that we need to um, combat both uh, in our own farms as far as research and um, systems go, but then that wider community aspect. How can we actually promote the good story that we do do and then um, any of the excess 
latency that we do have to, to help um, the community. But I think that goes beyond production. When we talk about things like the voice in Canberra, that Indigenous um, aspect of land ownership is, is a huge aspect that we still need to resolve. Um, there's a lot of people living in a bit of limbo there who are both A, scared, and B, unsure about the future steps. And this is this is a whole generation conversation. It's not going to be resolved in a year or two. Um, to get that um, settings right, to make sure that we're engaging with the right people is some of the challenges that we've got across all of agriculture. But I guess when you look at the problems, yes, there's the um, the mechanical problems of running the business, but then we're, we're now dealing with more social issues than we ever have. And agriculture has got a responsibility to both have an opinion and then also provide options in that arena. And, and that's that's difficult. That means that we need to be very mature in our conversations to make sure that we're understanding both what um, people's pressure points are, but then also what the outcome we're trying to achieve as a collective, not just for agriculture side of the coin. DJ, I've got a couple of questions for you, which we're going to ask everyone. But the first one I've got for you is, so after all these years, what's still keeping you passionate and involved in Aussie agriculture? The stories, mate. Ah, look, coming to a, a conference like this, first of all, it's a bit supercharged because you, you um, get a smallest board of people to listen and talk to. But the stories of people succeeding in ag, the pe- stories of people um, who have faced adversity and, and rebuilt businesses or built businesses, and then the next generation, their aspirations to come through, it's such a dynamic industry, such a inspirational uh, journey for so many people and so diverse. For me, I love that aspect of it. And if that uh, isn't enough to motivate you, I don't know what will get you out of bed. Um, but yeah, it's the people absolutely front and center. This is a people business, um, but the technology that's behind making it happen is also pretty unreal. And to see that being adopted and being uh, a part of an industry that is many ways well leading or at least um, uh, leading the curve in ad- adoption is um, one of the parts that I find so both uh, fascinating but also motivating. I love it. Well, we've got fast five questions, so I hope you're on your toes. Just think of the first thing that comes to mind and just let rip, I reckon. <laughs> What's your favourite grain-based dish? Right. Uh, look, I'm, I'm a bit of a chickpea type of guy, so um, both we grow them and I love them. Anything for bullies here. Yeah. Who would be three people you'd invite over for this dish? Oh, right. Um, <laughs> probably, uh, look, Bones Crafter is one of my ex-next-door neighbours who um, no longer is farming, but uh, he used to be my plus one of a lot of events. And if anything, he kept me real. So, um, yeah, absolutely, uh, Bones. Um, I'd probably love to invite somebody from uh, the other side of um, the, the ledger, either an animal activist or somebody like that, just to, to spice things up to hear their, their views in life. Um and then, uh, I don't know, finally, uh, love to invite my grandpa back just to see what we've done and how this all changed. I love it. What was your first ever job? First ever job? I uh, was feeding the goats, I reckon, at home. Um, I was lactose intolerant until about the age of seven. So we had to have goats and I, I had to learn how to milk goats just to, to get over that. But thank God I grew out of that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> feeding the goats. It might be coming back on trend. <laughs> and uh, before my time, mate. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> What's something on your bucket list? Oh, definitely. Um, I do enjoy my two wheels, uh, motorized two wheels. So I'd love to do the super trail. Love it. What's a question you'd like us to ask a future guest on the podcast? 
Um, I like the the whole motivation what gets you out of bed, but um, I guess the other one's always, uh, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> so on my Enough It Would Scholarship, that was a question when I sat next to strangers, that was my icebreaker. So um, that was the uh, the whole getting people to think about their food. Probably not so much in, in the ag industry because everyone um, is usually heavily involved or ingrained in food and fiber, but just love to hear why, what people had, why they had it, and then to hear their, their thoughts or reflection on how it got to their plate. So, yeah, that's one of the ones I always um, crack out. That is a good one. One I've been asking people today is what's a fad that you hope doesn't exist in 10 years? It's pretty <laughs> So I'm going to ask you. <laughs> oh, mate, there's a couple here, and it might be a little bit, um, a little <laughs> bit uh, probably uh, delicate, but uh, some of this sustainable, some of the, the – we're reinventing the wheel in some regards um, in – the technologies that we're measuring things by, I think that the, the the definition of sustainable means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And we all should aspire to be able to run your business for the next generation. Absolutely, hands down. That should be one of the guiding principles. But um, uh, yeah, some of the, the methods of how that is achieved, I, I struggle with. Um, I think there's a lot of good producers out there that aren't being recognized for the good deeds that they're doing. But um, it's what else can we do on top of that is, is the challenge. So anything around that... Um, that uh, the trend words around what sustainable is, um, I think that we we need to just probably take a bit of a deep breath and go. Actually, a lot of our lot of our um, processes are actually pretty good. Um, yes, so we can all do more, but um, let's not try to limit our thought by one definition. Love it. Well, DJ, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat. Thanks for the opportunity, all. Thanks for joining us for the GRDC In Conversation podcast. This series is a GRDC investment that's sharing the stories of the people who are living and breathing the Aussie grains industry. Make sure you check out some of our other conversations and hit follow on your favourite podcast app to never miss an episode.